Hello, and welcome to the Forest of the Fae. Here on Pop Culture Fae, we take a look at movies, TV, comics, and other popular media through the lens of the queer folks of society. I'm Miller C. Lashbrook, and I am your host on your journey through the Forest of the Fae. This week on Pop Culture Fae, I will be sharing my thoughts on Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. Hope you enjoy. Hello, I'm back. <laughs> um, there was no podcast episode last week because I um, was quite sick for about a week and I just started to recover last Sunday. And uh, then I was like, well, the Super Bowl trailers will make for some great news. So I was like, okay, I'm going to wait for Monday. Monday, went into work after being sick for pretty much a whole week, and I came home, and I just did not have the energy or the voice, quite frankly, to avoid the pot to record the podcast. So my voice is still recovering, but it's sounding quite a lot better than it was before. So I've got like two weeks worth of Faye news to go over. I'll talk about the Super Bowl trailers in here, um, amongst other things. And then, uh, yeah, and then the main story for today will be my uh, thoughts on Quantumania. And since I wasn't able to do a, like, predictions um, segment or anything for Quantumania, I'm going to make sure that my review is split up into a non-spoiler and spoiler um, section as well. So if you have not seen the movie, you you can continue to listen, and I will give you a spoiler warning uh, once we get to that part today. Uh, but first, let's uh, get to this two weeks of Faye News. So uh, this is Faye News. In this segment, I'll cover the week's big entertainment news that caught my eye. So let's start off with... Uh, about a week ago, what we got with the Super Bowl with some trailers. Now, I was expecting more from the Super Bowl in the way of movie trailers. Now, the past five, ten years, things have slowly transitioned away from full trailers on TV and more to TV spots that teased full trailers posted online. But even that didn't really happen. Um, it was, was kind of odd. So we got a couple teasers. I mean, we got a teaser for Transformers that was maybe like 30 seconds. There was a really cute um, Mario plumbing ad trailer for the Super Mario Brothers movie. Although I don't know if it actually aired on TV, at least we didn't catch it while watching, but it was posted online. Creed 3 got a teaser, um, Fast X got a teaser, but really for me, the big, the three, or I guess the couple, the big things that happened, we got a full trailer released online for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. So that's kind of our, our second trailer, and it's 
promotional cycle. We'll probably get one more once tickets go on sale uh, closer to release date. We got this wonderful commercial that was celebrating Disney's 100 years as a company, which, of course, was manufactured to make you feel nostalgia in a bottle. <laughs> um, another, other big news, we didn't get a Little Mermaid trailer, which a lot of people thought we were going to get one, especially since that movie is coming out so soon. Um, we got a little teaser for Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, but nothing new was really shown there. But I think easily we can agree that the winner of the Super Bowl in terms of movie trailers was The Flash. Now, I know that Ezra Miller is a bit of a controversial figure right now in terms of what they've done in their personal life. But the internet kind of, in an interesting way for DC, uh, was really happy with how this trailer turned out. It looks like they are going to, that DC is really adapting the Flashpoint storyline from the comics in an interesting way in a way that fits what we've gotten up to this point in terms of DC movies. It's cool. It It's definitely interesting to see both Michael Keaton and Ben Affleck as Batman in the same trailer. And so that'll be interesting to see in the movie. I don't know if I'd say that I am like 100% super stoked for the flash as a movie but i'm very intrigued by it and it looks i mean based on the trailer it looks well made it looks like it might it's going to be a fun ride and we at least know based on what james gunn said a couple weeks ago that the flash movie is theoretically what resets the dceu into the dceu so even if the DCEU isn't your thing, if you haven't enjoyed what Warner Brothers has been doing with the DC movies in, since Man of Steel, this film is still important because it is resetting things into the new status quo for James Gunn's DCU. So, um, I mean, I'm intrigued. I and I I like the Flashpoint storyline. So having that kind of reconfigured uh basically just replacing Thomas Wayne with Michael Keaton's Batman, they're replacing the subject one version of Superman in that story with Sasha Kai's Supergirl. It seems interesting. Before we move on from this, I have a thought in my head. So we know that Sasha Kaye is playing a version of Kara Zor-El, Supergirl, in this Flash movie. We also know that James Gunn is planning to make an adaptation of Supergirl, Woman of Tomorrow, as a movie. 
and that that is not going to be Sasha Kaye, that that is going to be a new Supergirl. So, hear me out. If people like Sasha Kaye as Supergirl in The Flash, what if she became the Kara Zor-El, a.k.a. Power Girl, for the DCU. If you're not familiar with Power Girl from the comics, she is a version of Kara from a different Earth that is kind of flying around um, the DC universe in addition to Kara as Supergirl. So if people like both versions of the character, that's how you could keep both of them not lose the representation of Sasha Kaye, but also still have a new Supergirl in this new DCU that fits with whoever is going to be playing Kal-El slash Superman. So just an idea. Just a theory. So for the rest of the Fey news for this week, um, we got a, an investor call from Disney with some interesting announcements. So Bob Iger, he's back, baby, <laughs> as the CEO of Disney. And it really looks like he is trying to clean house. He's seeing what's been happening with all of the company's brands in terms of the creative output. And it really sounds like he is not happy. He talked about how... He wants the brands to kind of slow down, go back to basics, and um, really lean on what they know works. And so for Marvel, it sounded like he really is going to make sure that they're being held accountable for if if their projects are not successes. Um, but in the other brands, he did announce that we're going to be getting some sequels to some existing films. He announced Frozen 3 is happening, Toy Story 5, and Zootopia 2. And then he also announced that Avatar uh, is going to have some sort of presence at Disneyland, that they're going to be working on bringing Avatar over to Disneyland, which more Avatar, not a surprise after that uh, the sequel, Way of Water, has been so successful. Um, so that news kind of spins into our next chunk of news, which is MCU news. So this past week, uh, Quantumania, the review embargo lifted, and things got a little messy, right? Um, the Rotten Tomatoes score uh, marked that Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania is the now the second Marvel movie to receive a Rotten Tomato on Rotten Tomatoes after Eternals with a critic score sitting around the 50% range. And immediately it seemed like Marvel needed to damage control. Kevin Feige was doing the rounds and talking a lot about future projects. In future news, 
So uh, Kevin Feige revealed that Fantastic Four news will be coming very soon. Uh, that Marvel is going to be, as Bob Iger kind of hinted at, slowing down a little bit. He didn't specify what that means, but with some other news that we got this week, I think we can venture to guess what that might mean. So he did find out a little bit later in the week that Secret Invasion and Loki Season 2 now might be the only Marvel shows to release this year. Um, this has been accredited to uh, Feige wanting them to make sure they get these shows right. So that would be why um, Echo and Ironheart and Agatha Coven of Chaos uh, have been pushed back a little bit. So it's sounding like Secret Invasion we should expect um, in May, maybe mid to late May, and we'll air in the beginning of our summer, and then maybe we should expect Loki Season 2 toward the end of the summer. Um, it was also announced, though, that the Marvels, the upcoming sequel to Captain Marvel, featuring Monica Rambeau, Carol Danvers, and Kamala Khan. It released a new poster, and this new poster gave it a new release date of November 10th. So that pushes the movie back from its original July 28th uh, release date. And with that pushback, the Haunted Mansion movie coming out moved up to that July 28th release date. So Disney didn't lose that release date. They just gave it to a, a different film of theirs. So that's all of the Marvel news. But let me kind of theorize a little bit about why this is. So obviously Marvel fans never like for the Marvel movies to get pushed back. But I think this is all part of... Kevin Feige and Bob Iger's plan to really make sure that Marvel is not, uh, f that, that the market is not oversaturated with Marvel content. I think they're really going to try to make sure that in terms of Marvel movies, if they're going to do three movies a year, that they're blocking out kind of the season's for their releases so thinking we'll get one sort of spring release like we have right now with quantumania in february one summer release uh with that beginning of with that first weekend in may date that's always going to be a marvel movie there and then one fall release uh a couple weeks before Thanksgiving with that second weekend in November date that they tend to like. Now, obviously we could sprinkle in additional movies here that like midsummer 4th of July type release date Marvel likes sometimes. And, uh, March has, has, uh, worked out well, but I, I think February, May and November, and then maybe a July release date in there is a good strategy for Marvel. And what that will allow them to do is it'll allow them to have these nice little pockets in between movies where they could release a show on Disney Plus right in the middle there. So like if you've got a movie in February 
and then a movie in May, putting a show in March and April kind of fits very nicely in there. Or if you've got a movie in May and a movie in November, you could really fit two Marvel shows nicely in between those two movies if you wanted to. So I think that's kind of the thinking going on here with this. And I predict that we're going to see Marvel really try to lock down uh, like they have with the May, the beginning of May date, that they're really going to try to lock down that second weekend of November as a Marvel movie always coming out in that time. Okay, and so some some last bit of news over the past two weeks. We had a Nintendo Direct uh, really focused on uh, remasters and re-releases of old games that are coming out. And specifically, the big, I think, for me, the big news coming out of that Nintendo Direct was the announcement of Game Boy and Game Boy Advance games going to Switch Online. Now, no Pokemon games were included in this, but that could be a possibility going forward um we also got a trailer for season three of ted lasso and the announcement that ted lasso season three is coming march 15th so that's right around the corner and lastly for fey news we have a the announcement from universal that they are working on a live action adaptation of how to train your dragon and the original uh, creators, the original director of the first How to Train Your Dragon movie, will be working on this live-action film as well. So that concludes the Fey news for this week. Next up, the main topic for this week, Quantum Mania. Alrighty, it is time for the main topic for this week, and that is Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantum Mania. Now, I am going to split this uh, review, if you will, or my thoughts, whatever you want to call it, into two halves. This first part is going to be completely spoiler-free, and then I'll give you a spoiler warning before I move into a more spoilery section. Now I want to start off by kind of framing my thoughts going into the movie since I didn't get to do a kind of predictions uh, episode last week. So for me, the Ant-Man movies, the first two Ant-Man movies, Ant-Man and then Ant-Man and the Wasp, I, both, I enjoyed both of those movies a lot. They aren't my favorite Marvel movies, but I definitely enjoy them. I love the comedy aspects of them. Paul Rudd is fantastic, but really more than anything, I love how these both movies approach family uh, between uh, obviously Scott's family and, and with Cassie and the like complicatedness of um a kid with divorced parents and, and how those interact. And as someone who has divorced parents and grew up having to travel between houses, 
seeing something like that depicted in one of my favorite franchises uh, is really nice. But also, we get a lot of family from the Van Dyne and Pims and like Hank and Hope's relationship. Um, or uh, Hank and Janet's relationship, or all three of them as, like, a family unit, uh, or, uh, like, them with Scott, right? And so the way these movies explore family, I think, is really important to the franchise. And, I mean, without spoilers, I can tell you that's that's a continued through line into this new movie. But going back to, like, my thoughts going in. So I... With Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, just with it being the third entry in the Ant-Man franchise, I wasn't expecting a top-tier Marvel movie, but I was expecting something that I enjoyed, right? Um, Which, I mean, I guess I kind of hope for that in any Marvel movie, but specifically with this franchise, I was like, I'm, I'm expecting a B movie. Yeah, um, for the MCU is kind of what my expectation was going in. Now, my expectation was notched up a little bit from the fact that we were getting Kang, right? Kang, uh, Kang the Conqueror is a super important Avengers villain, right? He's one of those big Avengers villains up there with Ultron and Thanos, right? Um, one of the key villains of the Avengers in the comics that comes back over and over again. And so when we heard that Kang was going to be in like in this movie, and then we got Kang and Loki season one. And I, and then we started to see the trailers with Kang. I was excited, right? I mean, Jonathan Majors is, like, he killed it as he who remains in the finale of Loki season one. And based on these trailers, it looked like he was going to do really well as Kang in this movie, right? As Kang the Conqueror. And so that did ratchet up my excitement for the movie just a little bit. Now, this past week, we did get the the bomb drop of the... (laughs) Rotten Tomato score. So uh, the movie was, from a critical standpoint, pretty poorly received. Now, I I pay attention to Rotten Tomatoes. I find the scores interesting. I, I do care what, like, to an extent, what critics think about movies. It does inform my decision-making as a moviegoer, but not for Marvel movies. Um, I typically will look at the Rotten Tomatoes score if it is a movie that I'm sort of unfamiliar with, right? If um, my husband and I are trying to decide for a new movie, if we want to wait to watch it at home, on streaming or renting it uh, once once it does go on streaming or do we want to go see it in theaters? But for the Marvel movies, like we're going to see them opening night, right? Like for the Marvel movies, 
we're the we're those people who we want to go see the new Marvel movie on the Thursday night, no matter what, right? So, rotten the Rotten Tomato score for us for Marvel movies does not really serve a function of will we see it or not. For us, it's more okay. What is our expectation level going into this movie, especially after the releases of Thor: Love and Thunder? And or Multiverse of Madness and Thor Love and Thunder. I think with those two movies in particular, we had higher expectations going in than were met. Now, I do enjoy aspects of both of those movies, especially Multiverse of Madness, but with um with love and thunder definitely i was let down by that movie and so i didn't want to let that happen again with this so when that rotten tomato score came in i was like okay even though i know critics are not the end all be all because some critics just don't get superhero movies or blockbuster movies in general right but i'm gonna take this as a sign to manage my expectations, maybe even go in with super low expectations, expecting it to be bad. So that way, if it's just good or okay, then my expectations will have been exceeded, right? And so that was kind of my thinking going in. I was not expecting to get a bad movie, but I wasn't expecting to get a great MCU movie. So we go, we go to the film Thursday night, we see it, we come out, and I had a fun time, right? So without going into spoilers, um, I think this movie is, this movie, it, it takes the characters in a new, to a new place, right? We see that in the trailer, that most of this movie is taking place in the quantum realm. So there are some aspects of the franchise that we kind of lose in that way. But thematically, this movie is a great end to the trilogy of Ant-Man movies. I think the way that the themes being explored with Scott and Hope as characters, right? Our titular characters of Ant-Man and the Wasp. But also with Hank and Janet and now with Cassie our main cast of characters continue to explore those themes and I think wrap them up in a nice way if we're thinking of these three movies as a trilogy. Um, I thought that Jonathan Majors did an amazing job as Kang the Conqueror. I'm very excited to, I don't think it's a spoiler to say that Jonathan Majors will be playing ver different versions of Kang, right? That was hinted at in Loki. So I don't think that's a spoiler, right? That he um, could possibly be playing variants of himself as, as that concept was introduced in Loki. So versions of Kang from different timelines, right? Um, and the prospect of that is really exciting, 
I did um, miss some things that were missing from the movie, but overall, it, I thought it was a fun time. If I was going to give a grade to this movie, it would definitely be a B, right? So we're not in like, this is not a top 10 Marvel movie. I didn't walk out of it like with a wow, right? I didn't, I also didn't walk out of it being like, I have to see this again this weekend, right? I do want to go see it again. Um, and I'm thinking if I see it again, I want to see it in like IMAX 3D, maybe just because of the visuals, right? But I didn't walk out of it being like, I need to go see that again this weekend right away, right? Which, which some Marvel movies I have, right? Endgame, Shang-Chi were both like that. Where I was like, I need to see this again this weekend. So, yeah, B is where I would score it. So it's not a great Marvel movie, but it's a good Marvel movie, right? It's a fun time. Um, it's not a bad movie. I think if you go into it just looking for a good time, then you will have a good time. So this is going to be my official spoiler warning. I'm going to go ahead and uh, take a little break here. Pause, give you a moment to pause your podcast if you have not seen the movie yet. And when you have, you can come back and listen to the rest of my review here so I can talk more specifics about the movie. Okay, so now the people who don't want spoilers have left. And now we're going to go into spoilers for the movie. So, um, yeah, like I said, I'd give this movie a B. Now I'm going to get into, I think, I'll frame this as some things that I didn't like, some things I thought were meh, and then my favorite things. So things I, I, I did not care for. Um, I, I guess, I don't know if there was anything that like bugged me about the movie, but, um, I did miss, uh, Luis and the ex-con group of characters. And I did also miss Cassie's mom and stepdad as characters, right? Um, you, their absence was felt from the movie. Also, Jimmy Woo was in the movie for like two seconds and didn't say anything. And, and, and that kind of bugged me too. Right. So from that aspect that you, I at least felt, and maybe it's because I rewatched the first two Ant-Man movies recently before this movie came out. Right. I felt the void left by those characters by Luis um, and the other ex-con characters by Cassie's mom and stepdad that they, cause they had a little warmth in the previous two Ant-Man movies. Um, and I, 
I missed Jimmy Woo as kind of like a straight man to Scott's zany man kind of energy. So that was missed. Then moving into the meh stuff, um, I liked, I really liked the character designs for the quantum realm, like characters, but I don't think other than Kang um, and MODOK, which we'll get to, <laughs> um, for like the the Quantum Realm Rebellion, and even with um, Bill Murray's character, I didn't really care about any of them as characters, right? They were kind of just characters that were run into. Um, I, and I, I don't know how, I don't know how you would solve that problem. I guess maybe seeing Janet's past with Bill Murray's character, not, not completely, but seeing it rather than hearing about it would have maybe made me care more about his character. And then I almost wish that the other Quantum Realm-like characters that if they were part of this rebellion against Kang, I almost wish that they knew more about Janet or they had some sort of history with Janet to kind of tie, tighten the plot a little bit, right? To make a point, to make that, that there was a point to them being there, right? Because it almost seemed like we were on a detour when Cassie and Scott were stuck at the camp with those people. Um, yeah, because like I, I understood from a from a writing perspective, they they were there because they needed a place for Scott and Cassie to end up that wasn't with Kang first, right? They, and then they needed a way, they needed an action sequence to show how Kang didn't give a crap about any of these people, right? That he was willing to harm them or kill them when Modok shows up hunting Scott and Cassie, right? So I get that from a plot perspective, but in terms of me as an audience member, caring about these characters i only cared about them because they had really cool designs right um absalom i think was his name the guy with like the light on his head i thought that was a really cool character design i thought that um zatura i think was her name um with the staff the way that her staff like splattered people was interesting um uh, the goo guy was was kind of funny. I believe he was voiced by David Desmalchian. Uh So we had him, that actor, coming back, but not as his same character. Uh, and then um, we had Chidi from The Good Place, who was a little, like, telepath. So, yeah, I just... And it, or it was almost like... Because they helped with the like 
the ending fight and everything. I don't know. I needed more somewhere from these characters to feel like they mattered more. Maybe I needed a little bit more about what Kang had previously done to them, why they were in that situation, or maybe I needed one of them to die in that fight when Modok showed up, but I needed something more from them as characters. Um, and then I think in the meh category, there were def- definitely some shots in some of the action sequences that were just a lot going on with CGI. I think for the most part, the CGI works pretty well here. The The backgrounds, the realization of the quantum realm uh, is really nice, but I think there were just certain shots in specifically action sequences where things just got a little too much going on um, for me. Uh, so that that that's kind of it. And then now let's get into like what I love. Now you might, if you've seen the movie and you've maybe listened to some other reviews or you've looked at some of the reviews online, you might be intrigued to hear that I have not talked about Modoc so far and I'm about to get into the things that I really liked about this movie. And that is because I loved Modoc in this movie. <laughs> Modoc was possibly next to Kang, my favorite thing about this movie. Modoc is a stupid character and he should always be stupid and they made him stupid in this movie and it made me so happy. Um just like the whole idea of Modoc as this like giant head with like little tiny limbs sitting on his little floating chair and being an angry little man that wants to like destroy everybody for science, right? Um, <laughs> and so that that kind of character would not work in most MCU films, right? Like Modoc would not fit well into a lot of the MCU films that we have known. But putting him in this movie where we're in the quantum realm with these already weird characters, right? Where we have, like, people with, like, flashlight heads and, like, goo beings that are universal translators, which was a weird but weird but interesting, like, plot point, right? Um, Modoc fits with this weird quantum realm, right? It's, it's weird sci-fi at its finest, right? And so putting him there, but then on top of that being like, okay, how can we organically work MODOK into this? And they were like, well, Yellow Jacket, Darren Cross in the first Ant-Man movie, right? When he shrank down, his head and his arms shrank at different rates. So that can make MODOK like that weird size, right? It worked for me. It worked for me in the context of this. I bought it. Uh, he was silly and ridiculous. 
And I thought that Corey Stoll had the right delivery of like the little bit of anger that Modoc has, but also like he's like only slightly self-aware of how ridiculous he is as a character. <laughs> um, and I, I loved him like at the end being like, well, at least I died in Avenger and Scott being like, Oh <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> um, it's just for me that worked. Um, I don't need Modoc to come back ever again, right? It, it's not this. I know, like he—he's a, a character that pops up in the comics a lot, but I don't need him to come back. I think we've we've had our MCU Modoc. He worked in the context of this movie, and I'm happy with that. And if I need a Modoc fix, I can revisit this film, right? Um, yeah, I thought. <laughs> It was just the it, it 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 worked for me. It really did, and I thought those jokes were some of the best jokes in the movie. Um, other things that worked well for me in the movie, uh, I liked Cassie in the movie. I liked Catherine Newton as Cassie. I bought her as the older version of the little kid that we've known in the first two Ant Man movies. I liked hearing that she has been kind of like experimenting with technology with Hank and Hope. And I liked that both Janet and Scott were not happy about that for completely different reasons, right? Scott was not happy about it because he's like, hey, you're letting my kid mess with like really complicated science stuff that I don't understand. And part of it too, I think he was maybe threatened a little bit by Cassie being smarter than he was, right? His own like kid outsmarting him. And then Janet being concerned about it because she's like, y'all, the quantum realm is dangerous. Um, worked for me as well. I think the family stuff worked really well. I think Hope and Hank figure uh, hearing about Janet's time in the quantum realm throughout the movie, and some of the uh, <laughs> so, some of the aspects of that was well done. I think Michael Douglas did a great job of showing how, like, even though Janet has expressed that the quantum realm is dangerous that now that he knows that Janet came back from the quantum realm, right? And Ant-Man and the Wasp, he's here and wants to just experience the quantum realm, this thing he studied. Now he's actually there exploring it and he's just amazed, right? Um, Michael Douglas did a great job of showing that in Hank as a character, that this was almost like a field trip for him. When for Janet, this was this was a terrifying trip, right? Um, I liked that all of our, all five of our protagonists got time to shine at different points in the movie that we got moment. We have a moment where Hank 
brings all the ants in to help with the fight at the end. That was a great hero moment for Hank. We had several hero moments with Janet throughout the movie, right? If anything, I would say the wasp in the title for this movie is talking about Janet, not hope, right? When we're thinking about the title Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, that's talking about Scott and Janet as Ant-Man and the Wasp, in, in, in my opinion, right? Um, because this, this is Janet's movie. She's one of our main characters. And so she got several moments to shine. I, I liked that in the final moments of the battle, that at the end of the day, Hope came back and Hope and Scott defeated Kang together. I thought that was an important moment to remind the audience, this is Ant-Man and the Wasp. This is not Ant-Man Quantumania, right? And Cassie got several moments throughout. I liked in the final battle giving Modoc as like her villain to fight, right? Because she is the new hero. She got like the like lesser villain to fight, right? Um, while Hope and Scott were focusing on Kang. And so I thought that they did a good job of balancing all five of those main characters because five protagonists is a lot to balance in which is a quote-unquote solo film <laughs> for the Marvel movies, right? So I thought that was really well done. And then finally, I mean, Kang, right? Kang is one of the best parts of this movie, hands down. Jonathan Majors is amazing. Um, he's great in the show Lovecraft Country, if you haven't watched that. But he is wonderful in this role. He, and we'll, we'll talk about the end credit scenes here in a moment, but he creates a version of Kang that is so distinct from He Who Remains. But because of what was set up in Loki season one, in that finale, you get, you understand that this is a version of that man from a different timeline, right? From a different universe. And we should probably be a little scared of him because of that monologue, right? And so we get a, a like a nice cold open in this movie of Janet finding Kang in the in the quantum realm for the first time. And so if you've watched Loki, the second you see that, you're like, okay, we got to take this seriously. We know this is an, an important character here, right? Um, specifically, so with He Who Remains, I, I think if you were going to use any word to describe that version of Kang, it would be like neurotic, right? He seemed to be like kind of broken by what he had himself done to time. This Kang, Kang the Conqueror, anger. He has a wrath to him that Jonathan Majors brings to the character that you, it makes you fear for Scott. I, there was a moment in the final fight, like the final fight, the very end where I, 
I thought Scott might die, right? Where I thought, I believed in the theater. I was watching the movie and I thought, they could, they could about, they're about to kill Scott, right? Didn't happen, right? But there was a moment in there where I believed that that could happen because Jonathan Majors had this anger and this wrath in Kang, this ferocity in the character that was really great to see in a villain. Um, and if we can continue that through the different versions of Kang, um, or in this Kang, if this Kang comes back, that'll be, it'll make him up there with Thanos as a great MCU villain. Yeah, I I think before I get into the end credit scenes, the movie itself, um, I thought this was a, a good start to phase five. I think it it puts things in a place where like we're finally moving on from Endgame. Like I I love Endgame, don't get me wrong, but to have a whole phase where almost every single project other than a couple were reactions to Avengers Endgame. I'm like ready to move on, right? It feels like with Quantumania that we're we are in a new phase. We're moving forward. We're moving towards something now. Uh, and that's really exciting. Yeah. Speaking of moving towards something, we get two post-credit scenes, right? We get a mid-credit scene and a post-credit scene. Mid-credit scene clearly setting up Avengers Kang Dynasty, right? <laughs> the um, the scene is all the Kangs, right? We're seeing the Council of Kangs. But really, I think the key thing to take away from here is that we're getting three heads of this council of kings set up that we have pharaoh ramatut who would be the king in the egyptian outfit then we have some kang the bald kang that's like super futuristic looking right and then uh which that costume doesn't really look like anything from the comics so i don't know which who that Kang is supposed to be, but then we have um, the Kang with the raspy, wispier voice um, with kind of like the blue metallic makeup on, uh, and that would be Immortus. Immortus is a Kang that likes to live outside of time. Uh, Pharaoh Ramatat is a Kang that went and ruled ancient Egypt, and we obviously don't know who this new futuristic looking Kang is. So we'll, that shall be seen. Uh, but I think we're getting these three Kangs will probably be our main Kangs. In addition to possibly Kang the Conqueror coming back from this movie. Because, I mean, he just got sucked into that engine, right? <laughs> that doesn't mean he's dead. Um, because comics, nobody's dead, right? So... We'll see. Uh, I thought it did a great job of setting up how 
there are so many versions of Kang and they are all threats in a way. And then we get our post credit scene, right? And this is clearly setting up Loki season two. This is like, it, it's still crazy to me that we have theatrical release movies with post credit scenes teasing TV shows, right? This happened also in Black Widow with the post credit scene teasing Yelena's appearance in Hawkeye. But like, yeah, the, the way that the movies and the TV shows interweave now is just so interesting to me. I think if they can really get the release strategy right in terms of how we're balancing movie, TV show, movie, TV show, movie, TV show, like kind of in that order, right? They're spaced out. It doesn't feel overcrowded. We don't have a show overlapping with a movie, which is weird. Like that was weird when we had like um, No Way Home and Hawkeye overlapped with each other at a point. Like if we can fix those issues where it really feels like we got this like one narrative, we have projects leading like kind of right into each other again uh, in the way that like I think phase three really mastered, right? If we can get that right, then like full steam ahead, baby. So overall, I, th I give Quantumania a B. I do want to see it again. I'm not in like a rush to see it again. But I, I do want to go see it again in theaters. Um, it was just a fun time. I had a lot of fun with the movie, but also it felt like there was momentum in this movie, that uh, Quantumania was moving us along uh, the overall narrative of the MCU, which not every project has to do that. But um, I, I'm grateful that this one did, because I think we've needed that. So, yeah, those are my overall thoughts on the movie. Alrighty, thank you for joining me today as I discussed Ant-Man and the Lost Quantumania. If you are listening and enjoying the podcast, please give it a review on your podcasting platform. Five-star reviews would be lovely. Also, if you have a friend who would like the podcast, make sure to share it with them to help grow our little community here. Once again, I am Miller C. Lashbrook. You can find me on Twitter at Mill C. Lashbrook, on Instagram at Miller C. Lashbrook. And for more Pop Culture Fae, you can head to our website, popculturefay.com, for blog posts and more content. If you would like to leave a voice message for the podcast or financially support the podcast, you can do so by going to anchor.fm slash popculturefay. Finally, I hope that you have a fantastic day, a lovely week, and I hope to find you the next time you wander into the forest. Pop culture fate. Bye-bye.